0: Hey guys, welcome back to The Essentials. I'm Maddie Flint, and here on my podcast, I share with you thought-provoking science, history, art, language, cognition, and culture-related content that is educational and exciting. I'm a human biology major, for those of you who don't know, and I have a love for exploration, so I hope to bring some interesting and accessible scientific material to you. I asked my audience this time on Instagram which topic they wanted me to discuss for this episode, and the most popular choice was color psychology. And if you would like to participate in the polling that I sometimes do on my Instagram, my handle is at Glowing. M-A-D-D-I-E-Z, G-L-O-W-I-N-G, and it's all lowercase. Okay. So let's talk about color theory. Is it legit or is it just for the aesthetic? It's both actually. Psychologists and scientific researchers have been interested in this topic for a long time and there are still some studies developing. Currently there's a lot more research underway, but there's more to come. The research area that's being enhanced, though, over the years is color and psychological functioning because not only is it just, oh, this color reminds me of this, which I will get back to that because that is kind of the basis of another point that I'm going to make later on, but they're taking it even further than just aesthetics and delving more into the biopsychology of it. And I will talk about the aesthetics later, though. Let us just start with defining what color theory is. Color theory is the study of how colors work together and how they affect our emotions and our perceptions. Perception is a vastly important thing to all living things, humans especially because of how complex our areas of cognition are, mainly the prefrontal cortex area. And color is one of the many things that can invoke a feeling or meaning to viewers or maybe even be attributed to different behaviors. Color theory is used by artists all over the world in various areas of work like art or science, design, and those things branch off into interior design, medical illustration, psychology, fine arts, tech, like, you know, you name it, wherever they need to make a statement that's eye grabbing. Being an artist in STEM, I've used color theory just numerous times before. And now I've also studied the neurobiology of perception and biological stimuli. And I find it super fun and interesting to think about those things while I'm doing my art. And I really just love the combination of art and science because they work hand in hand so well, they definitely complement each other or they give explanations for each other. And they both help to make the world a more magical place. Okay, so I'm going to give you guys some definitions and terminology now, if you want to make some mental notes, because I'm going to use a few of these terms later in this episode, and I want to give you guys some background understanding, because knowledge is power. A hue refers to the degree of lightness, darkness, strength, etc. of a color. It's the underlying base of the mixture that you're looking at and can be one of the six primary and secondary colors. So, for example, it could be red, more blue, more green and its composition would be mostly comprised of one of those colors. Then we have value, and this one's really interesting. Value in art refers to the lightness or darkness of colors or tones used in an artwork. It's one of the seven elements of art, and it's essentially how light or dark something is on a scale of white to black, with white being the highest value and black being the lowest. This can help to create contrast and depth in compositions. Then there's saturation, which is the intensity or purity of a color. It's one of the three elements of color along with hue and value, and saturation can be thought of as the strength or the richness of that color. Highly saturated colors are going to appear more vivid, and less saturated colors might look a little more muted or washed out. Okay, so now we have our foundation of our three elements of color. Saturation, value, and hue. The term chroma may also be used interchangeably with the word saturation, and it also refers to the color's perceived strength level, which can also be called chromatic intensity. The higher the saturation, the higher the intensity or purity of that color. On the color wheel, we have three primary colors, red, yellow, and blue. We have three secondary colors, orange, green, and purple, and we have six tertiary colors, yellow-orange, red-orange, red-violet, blue-violet, blue-green, and yellow-green. Black, white, and gray are not considered hues, and so they're not on the color wheel, but they are defined as natural colors, and that's where you get things like your tones and your tints, and tint would be your lightness of the color, which is a pure hue that's mixed with a white, And then your tone is like a combination of black and white. So you're adding gray to this hue and it's going to tone down your chromatic intensity and then you have shades. And that's when you add any amount of black to a pure hue that produces a shade of that color. But as an artist, you can know all of these things and you can apply them of course, but you can also sometimes break some rules. Like I really like having blue shades instead of black shades with gray like sometimes i'll just use blue and like mix that with some other color like a little bit of green or a little bit of red and if you put that on paper that's like brownish or put it against a yellow or a contrasting color of blue which on the color wheel a contrasting color of blue would be the yellow orange area so they create a great contrast okay great we have our colors down we have all of our color terminology down, and now we're going to move into a little bit of general psychology just so that we can understand perception. And perception is the way that sensory information is organized, interpreted, and consciously experienced. So it involves both bottom-up and top-down processing. In bottom-up processing, that is going to be perceptions that are built off of just sensory input that we're looking at or observing in that moment. Like it's not based on things that we already know. So if you see something that you've never seen before, that's gonna be bottom-up processing because you're trying to take in all of that new information. So on the other hand, top-down processing, which is what I feel like occurs more commonly, that is how we interpret those sensations as they are influenced by our available knowledge, which is our experiences and our thoughts so if you already know what something looks like and you see something new and you're like oh i've seen this before that kind of looks like and then you use your pre-existing knowledge to be able to perceive this new thing that you're looking at and then we have a really important factor that affects both sensation and perception and that's attention which plays a significant role in determining what is sensed versus what is perceived Specifically, what are we focusing on in our environment? What things are so eye grabbing or attention grabbing that we are tuning out all of the other things that are also going on around us because we're not really paying attention to them where they're not really of interest. They're kind of just fading into the background and then something kind of stands out. Then we also have our emotions and our feelings. And those two things, though they're used interchangeably and I know because I do it myself, they are actually different, if you're gonna go from the psychological standpoint of them. An emotion is normally short-lived, but it's intense, and they are also likely to have a definite and identifiable cause. Feelings, on the other hand, are influenced by our perception of the situation, which is why the same emotion can trigger different feelings. And this is always a really fun part of psychology to read about because there are so many different theories over the course of psychological history and biological history and all this, about the development of our emotions. And there's also different theories on how many types of emotions that we can experience. And there are some things that can actually affect the way that we express and interpret emotions, like sociocultural norms, for example. Different cultures may have different associations, which are learned about different things in the environment. And then we do have some expressions that are considered to be universal, such as a smile or a frown. Now we know that there are different things that can affect perception. We know what perception is. We know what other things are involved in those types of processes in the brain, like emotion and attention. And we also know our foundation of all the colors and stuff. But do we actually know what a color is? Have we thought of that? How would we define color? It actually has a very scientific definition. And it reads that color is the element of art that is produced when light striking an object is reflected back to the eye. It can mean a lot more than that from person to person, but that's just the scientific objective baseline for that mechanism of what a color is and how we can perceive it. Hence why understanding perception and what colors are is so important. Can anything influence our perception of colors? Yes, a lot of external factors can influence our color perception, such as distance, for example. You know, when you're hiking or where you can see a lot of layers of a landscape, The things in your foreground that are closest to you are going to be a lot clearer and a lot more saturated and then things that are in the background like say some mountains are usually appearing less saturated so they're appearing more blue when you know that they're made up of green trees and like dirt and all this different stuff that you can see when you're close up but from further away it starts to lose saturation to the point where they appear blue and then there's things like color blindness which is an X-linked genetic trait, meaning that whatever this characteristic is, is linked to the X chromosome. It's influenced by the genes on that chromosome specifically, and it contains many more genes than the smaller Y chromosome does. And males are more likely to be affected by these X-linked disorders than females because As females, we have two copies of the X chromosome. So if something goes wrong on one, we have another one to kind of suppress the expression of the one that isn't working right in some area. But because guys only get the one, they're going to have whatever traits are on that one. And color blindness is a deficiency of the red green part of color vision. So while we have variation in how we may perceive color with things like distance, like where you are standing, maybe lighting, and also genetic things like colorblindness. There are major things that remain the same across all populations of people. And then there's synesthesia, and I know a lot of people find that really interesting to read about. Um, But that's kind of a different story. That's where your perceptions of different stimuli actually get mixed together, such as tasting shapes or hearing colors or etc. So there's a really cool interplay between the senses. Like every time you see the letter A, you would see it in red. And I actually do see the letter A in red. I don't know if it's just because in kindergarten when everybody is learning the basis of phonics, the letter A is always apple or whatever, and it's just in red. Maybe it's that. I don't know. I also see the word math in red. Maybe that's not synesthesia. I think that's universal. I think a lot of students think that their subjects have a specifically colored binder or folder that goes with it. Like math being either red or blue and science always being green. Anyway, women are more likely to have synesthesia than men. And it isn't weird. It isn't a disability or disorder or anything like that. More generally speaking, though, humans have the ability to perceive colors of a certain wavelength. So we're all mostly on the same page when we think about colors. One 2020 study that VeryWellMind.com highlights surveyed the emotional associations of 4,598 people from 30 different countries around the world and found that people commonly associate certain colors with specific emotions. According to the study results, 51% of respondents associated black with sadness, 43% of people associated white with relief, 68% of people associated red with love, 35% linked blue to feelings of relief. 39% linked green to feelings of contentment. Yellow had 52% of the people associating it with joy. Purple, 25% reported they associated it with pleasure. 36% of people linked brown to disgust. 44% of people associated orange with joy. So it's that yellow-orange, the brightness, like I was talking about earlier. And then pink had 50% of people associating it with love and i think these findings are really cool and they kind of hinted our biology a little bit and our history of learned associations and depending on the studies that you look at some of them are a little bit different like they may vary in red actually or black just some of those colors but usually yellow was joy or like orange and then pink and red are love but There can be a little bit of variation in there naturally because with creation comes variation. I think we all know that. But I do really think it's cool that so many people around the planet have the same associations with those certain colors. And we know that not everybody in every one of those countries is gonna be speaking the same language and having the same sociocultural norms around them, and this is why colors are such a major essence of communication because not all languages will have an equivalent for, say, the English word blue, but everybody can perceive that color, it just may not have its own word, but this is why associations are really cool to look into. Some languages have very, very few color words, so they just describe things in terms of light and dark, so that would be the values. So let's bring light into this discussion, actually. Light can elicit an acute physiological and alerting response in humans, the magnitude of which depends on the timing, intensity, and duration of light exposure. So think about our circadian rhythms. What does light do to stimulate wakefulness? And then thermoregulation and culture even plays a part in color perception and color psychology because as I was saying, those different cultures may assign a little bit of a different meaning to a color. For instance, pink for girls and blue for boys. That's kind of just a social construct. But now something like red, that goes even beyond a societal thing like, like the pink for girls, blue for boys. And I think this one is a little bit more innate because it just jumps out at you so much more than, say, the other colors in your natural environment do. So now that we have some biological and cultural information, here's where we can apply those things to colors. Like feelings and facial expressions, colors are nonverbal. Nonverbal cues are crucial also in human communication. Think of a smile or a wave or a wink or a hug. We know that those things have implications. Colors can be used for a communicative expression. Or to cause specific feelings or moods to arise in a particular setting because our brains love to associate things a big part of human cognition is actually associative learning things that occur together are going to be fused in a way you hear your alarm clock in the morning for example and that means it's time to wake up this pairing works because it's an alarm and it's the morning. If you were to hear an alarm at a different time of day, it's not gonna make you wake up. It's gonna draw your attention, but it's not a wake up alarm. So all of these things are part of the conditioning responses, classical conditioning. You've probably heard of Pavlov's dogs. I think I've mentioned them on my podcast before with the fact that the dog started to associate the bell with their food so they would start salivating before they got their food because they associated food with the bell and all that stuff. Um, But that's basically what our brains are doing too. With colors, we typically see water and the sky being blue. So these visual cues are helping us to create mental representations of things. So if somebody associates clean water with the color blue, they might favor that color. See, it's all about associations. So now I'm gonna talk to you about colors and their attributes. This is probably the part that you guys have all been waiting for, but I had to have the general psych part and a little bit of the color wheel stuff in first because I feel like that just makes it more holistic. So here are the colors and their attributes. With blue, we see that being associated with peace, calmness, trust, confidence, and loyalty. And then green we see it being associated with health tranquility growth and generosity purple luxury power ambition and creativity and then red passion excitement energy confidence so red and blue both have a level of confidence i guess that's associated with them then there's pink love kindness innocence femininity And then orange has success, enthusiasm, warmth. Those things both might mean happiness from those studies of people across the globe. Maybe they associate happy with being warm or being together or being enthusiastic or successful. And then there's yellow, and that's hope, optimism, positivity, and joy, just like we suspected. Gray is elegance, authority, knowledge, and dignity. And then brown, we have nature, security, Strength and dependability that's a little bit different than the other one that talked about being grossed out But there are a lot of studies that show brown being related with nature and security and dependability and then the other half is kind of them Associating brown with gross things because we all know things that are brown that are gross So I guess that makes sense and then for black we have power formality Rebellion and mystery that's really cool and then with white we have purity safety, knowledge, and goodness, and that's definitely because white is also bright and people associate those things like purity and goodness with brightness. So white being the brightest color would be associated with those things. And then of course, as I was saying before, there's all sorts of variations there depending on what kind of table you're looking at of attributes. Like you could even look at it, Where there's a positive and then there's a negative column for each of those colors, like the negatives of green are envy, sickness, and even boredom. And then yellow, the negatives of yellow could be frustration or anxiety or caution. The negatives of purple could be suppression. It could be moodiness. And then for things like black, it could be oppression or coldness or heartlessness, evil even. Mourning is another one. And then the negatives of white, coldness, which is interesting that the negative of black and white, one of the feelings that's really general, is coldness on both of those things. Another negative of white could be isolation or emptiness. If anybody watches Spongebob, there's an episode where Squidward gets... In this time machine and it sends him to this weird abstract alternate universe where he's just alone in just a white screen and there's nothing there that would be exactly what i would tell you guys to look at for white being associated with emptiness and isolation <laughs> it's one of my favorite spongebob episodes ever um but there are a lot of negatives and positives associated with all of these colors across humanity like for red big ones are danger, warning, defense, and aggression, and pain, and anger. Anger's huge. So why do we associate all of these colors with all of these different emotions? The association between colors and emotions occurs in our brain, While some other color preferences do come from culture, a lot of them are learned just through human experiences. As we encounter situations in our daily life, our memory is shaped by some of those experiences and our brain will associate them with emotions. Because colors are present in our environment, an emotion color association will take place. There's a myriad of colors associated with emotions, which depends on the culture we live in. So it's nature and nurture again. And I... to link some of these articles that i have some of this info from because i think they're really interesting and they would be cool to take a look at so i want to talk about red just for a moment the color red has a super strong effect on psychology so let's just think about what things are red or maybe have been perceived as red fire even though it's more orange and sometimes may have white or blue but fire fire because fire is hot Heat is red, stoplights, poisonous berries, blood, anger, which is due to how when we get mad or even with other intense feelings like stress or embarrassment, the blood vessels that are in your face are gonna widen a little bit, causing that red hue to be visible because there's more surface area in those vessels. But what about emergency responders lights? A fire truck, red catches our attention. And it stands out from the majority of colors in our natural environment so because red stands out that's often been a color that people would associate with attraction to and i think it's truly just because the color red is so vibrant and it's kind of unnatural except for like strawberries and other stuff in our environments think of trees and driveways and all that stuff that's why if somebody has a red car it's like a flashy thing like it's standing out of the crowd So that's why it commonly gets associated with drawing our attention more because all of those other colors are a little bit more dim than a a bright pure red where it's been unmixed with any other colors. So now we know all of these different colors can have different psychological effects because of the things that we perceive that are those colors and what those things are and what they mean to us. That's why chroma might actually be somewhat helpful in treating things like mental burnout. It's a holistic method, so it's not going to be for everybody, but it's color therapy. And this would be done by shining an appropriate color on an area of the body or looking at a particular color or something. And it's safe. It's pain-free. I've never tried it before, but I guess being an artist, you kind of, you're just working with colors all the time. So you're thinking about them a lot. So maybe that is color therapy in a way. But depending on what you associate with those colors, like maybe if someone were to shine a red light at you, it wouldn't energize you or invigorate you. It might make you angry. So it all just depends on your perception. So I just want to also take a moment now to think about our naturally occurring colors and patterns, specifically green, brown, and blue. One of the reasons that Green invokes such feelings of health and growth and restorative feelings in general is that nature is our most primitive habitat. Whether you believe in evolution as creation or God and his creation, either way, plants and plant life came first, then us. We used plants, we lived among them, they nurtured us. The connection that we have to plants is special. And when you go stand outside barefooted in the grass or you're walking through leafy trees and plants and just taking in your environment, not only is there the carbon oxygen exchange going on, usually there's a feeling of natural tranquility, for me at least. Green things give us growth and security. And green lights means we get the go-ahead. So a lot of different engineers and other people who have to use colors to express certain things where you can't have words all the time imagine someone standing at an intersection and trying to tell people to go green is associated with that for us it's kind of interesting also how a color representing the natural and organic world could also be used for something like money which consumes a lot of people's lives we work to get it we love to get it because it brings us stability or so we think and stability is associated with that color green i don't know that's just something to think about If anyone hasn't read The Great Gatsby, now is the time to read it. Green plays a huge role in that story as a literary device. I won't spoil it for you, but it's really great. And green is symbolic in that book. So those are all of our green things. And then we have brown and that could be authenticity or support or just organic in nature. Those are the positives. It's an earthly, reliable feeling. Picture jumping in the mud or drinking hot coffee or having some chocolate. Brown is a comfort color. So is green. And these colors are not very artificial looking unless you're getting them as some kind of a pre-mixed, artificially made paint color or something or something else that's just not as it is in nature. And then there's blue. Immediately, everybody's thinking of the sky and water. So that's the ocean, the sky above it all of these calming things this is a secure color an orderly feeling and it's calming and it's invoking serenity and all of these colors are a part of our ancient past and just as another source of information for us to use to understand why those certain colors are so prominent in our lives still or they may really draw certain feelings that can't be invoked by anything artificial I'm going to look at the bible and we're going to look at genesis and we're going to look at the seven days of creation day one was light so there's value there's light and dark and then day two was atmosphere so there's your sky day three it was ground and plants so there's brown and green and all of these beautiful naturally occurring and growing things and organisms that some of them can still be found to this day like they haven't died off they're still around if you go outside and you have ferns go go pay your ferns some attention they're they're great and then we had day four that's the sun and the moon and the stars and day five birds sea creatures and day six land animals and humans so there we are all the way down on day six, and we don't know that these are 24 hour days because even on different planets in our own solar system, all the days have different lengths. And then day seven was the day of rest. So while these are days here, they're, they're regarded as the word day, maybe if we use evolution and we kind of just think like, maybe this is deep time, we don't know what day referred to. These things are all in the same order. We still had light, then we had our atmosphere, and then plants and all of these really early organisms. And then humans came a long way down the road. But either way, they're they're both implying the same thing, that plants came before us. So all of these colors that were present created what we know as our natural environment. So we have a huge variety of different colors, and then we have all these things influencing our perception of it, like emotions, like what's catching our attention, like where we've seen these colors, what we associate them from, and then they sometimes gain a lot of popularity. Like if you bring fashion into it and you look at the trending colors for each decade, you can see the types of things that people wanted to prioritize or the types of feelings that people wanted to express based on the colors that were trending. And what did those colors signify? Like when you look at spring palettes, those are different from winter palettes. And then somebody's personality, maybe they associate themselves with spring and all of the different feelings that arise with spring may be reflective of their favorite colors. And that is where we can bring in the aesthetics of interior design and fashion design and Because we have these associations with colors, we're going to opt for different colors in our living spaces that are appropriate for how we want to feel in that space. And that goes a long way. There are endless possibilities and combinations you can do with colors. They speak so much. And now that we know that humans have either a learned or biological response to those certain colors, we will sometimes associate our own personalities with those colors. Now, due to all this, we can see why color is such a huge aspect of marketing strategies. Like for example, of all the things we talked about, think about how colors invoke emotions and moods and then apply that to your target audience. What are they thinking about? What do they like? And then we know that different colors have different cultural associations. Different colors can encourage customers to make purchases or to follow a certain company. So that's why understanding the psychology of color is also essential for developing marketing campaigns. And this is where rhetoric gets involved because you know businesses wanna be persuasive. They want people to buy their products. The entire world it felt like this summer, especially on social media, mainly on social media, was just pink because of Barbie. And that is a sociocultural thing. Pink being related to femininity, that's not a bad thing either. But we saw so much pink from Barbie specifically because that's her color. That's what we know Barbie for. And people on Instagram were using that as a huge marketing strategy because so many women and young women and girls were so excited for that movie to come out. And everybody was wearing pink. And it was really cool. Um, Instagram influencers were making food pink by using like beets and mixing it with sour cream and all this different stuff because of pink and what that invoked for people and how popular it was getting just because of the movie. So that's one example of a marketing strategy for colors. And in this whole episode, I really just wanted to illustrate how important colors are to humanity, hence why art is so important to humanity, and how loudly that art can speak without using a single word. And that's because colors are a universal way to communicate feelings with each other. Like if you look at any of the great and classical paintings that shaped art history you'll see purposeful color choices meant to signify or symbolize a specific emotional state and they drew a lot of attention because of that. So now that we know all of these different things about color and why we like certain colors now you can think about your favorite color and maybe think about why it is that you like that color. So I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode of The Essentials. I did. I had a lot of fun researching for it. And thank you for all voting. Those of you who are listening who voted on my Instagram. um, It was fun to research your favorite topic. As always, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate the listen. And be sure to check out my podcast here or on Spotify or YouTube. And check out all the other great podcasters that are also here on the BMG Network.